We are going to continue in Philippians this morning. I want to ask you, you know when uh, someone tells you a story, and it's, it's going well, it might even have a humorous bent, but then it takes a turn, right? And it just bombs. And so they end the story with saying, well, you had to be there. If you were there, it, was, it would have been funny. Uh, and, and don't you just want to say to them, like, well, if I had to be there, why did you tell me this story at all? Uh, there's something deeply frustrating about being a step removed. There's something deeply frustrating about being on the outside looking in. And I think this is actually how we can feel about our faith from time to time. We're now in the seventh week of our 10-week series in Philippians. And I don't know about you, but as we read this letter, sometimes I feel like if we just lived then, you know, it would make more sense. If we could have just seen Jesus in the flesh, maybe this whole Christian thing would be easier. Uh, we weren't there. We were, we're a step removed. We're not just a step removed. We're 2,000 years removed. You know, how can we read a letter like Philippians and not hear it saying subtly to us, well, you had to be there. It was an amazing moment in time, but, you know, you had to be there. Paul would say to us, well, me too. He would say, I wasn't there when Jesus resurrected and ascended. I wasn't there on the day of Pentecost. But our experience of Jesus isn't unattainable. It is not bound by time or space or location. Our faith, Paul would say, is always more than words in a letter. Uh, there is always an opportunity to increase in our proximity to Jesus, to increase in our experience of Jesus. Our passage today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, can seem like an odd passage at first. Paul is just telling the Philippians about some people that are going to come visit them. But there's more to it. It's actually a passage about how we take a step closer to Jesus so that we don't feel a step removed. So we don't feel distance between the time the scriptures were written and the time that we find ourselves in today. The passage is about how we increase in our proximity to Jesus, and especially how we experience him more, even when it seems unattainable. So, we're going to look at three things this morning. The first, we're going to look at letters in people. The second, we're going to look at uh, the knitting of the Spirit. And then finally, we're going to look at the trophies of our community. Would you open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2? If you don't have a Bible, all the pertinent text will be on the screen. I just want to highlight uh, three verses. Verse 19, Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And in verse 24, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And then finally in verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. As we know, Paul wrote a letter and sent it to the church in Philippi and they're reading it and they would have received it and they're discovering, all right, we're going to have some visitors soon. And there's a few practical reasons that Paul is telling them this. Uh, let's take Timothy. Timothy often travels on behalf of Paul. Uh, he is a co-worker in the gospel. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Timothy, I'd love to bring you quickly up to speed. Uh, we have two letters in the scriptures that Paul wrote directly to Timothy. And then there's six other letters that are from, they're addressed from Paul and Timothy. And then in Acts, we have all these stories of Paul and Timothy's journeys together as they do the work of Christ. Timothy is a major player in the New Testament, and he is uh, one of Paul's most trusted co-workers. And Paul is sending him, as he says in verse 19, because he wants to get an update from the Philippians. 
You know, while, while sending a letter is a good thing, Paul wants to send Timothy because then Timothy will return to him with stories, with experiences. He will have seen them face to face and he'll be able to come back and tell Paul an honest account. And Paul trusts Timothy because he knows when Timothy goes. He has no one like him. Timothy won't be concerned about his own interests. He'll be concerned about the well-being of the Philippians. And he'll bring back an honest report. But before Paul is going to send Timothy, and before Paul is going to try to uh, come himself, he first is going to send back to them Epaphroditus. Now, we don't know nearly as much about Epaphroditus as we know about Timothy, but we do know this. He has a way cooler name. And, I, and I, I am convinced 2014 is the year of Epaphroditus. It is making a comeback. I think you could call him Epa for short. You know? So Epa, um, Paul says, I'm going to send him back to you. Uh, we, we know that from the, from the scripture that we read, uh, that Epaphroditus went to visit Paul in prison. He came to relieve Paul. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago. In the jail system in Rome, uh, the prisoners were not supplied food and water by the state. Uh, they depended upon uh, their family and friends to, to bring them food and water each day. And so Epaphroditus is sent on behalf of the church in Philippi to Paul to provide for, the, for his needs, to care for him while he's in jail. But the, the Philippians had heard that in this process, Epaphroditus had become very ill, even to the point of death. And Paul confirms this. He said, yes, he was very ill and, and he was distressed that you found out. And And so we decided to send him back, as he says in verse 28, that you might rejoice in seeing him again. As I said, at first glance, this just looks like Paul is giving them some news updates. He's saying you you can expect some visitors. Heads up, you know, Timothy and Epa are coming to visit. But where this passage is located in the letter makes this passage about so much more than news. Since chapter 1, verse 27, and all the way through to chapter 2, verse 18, Paul has been developing one thought, and this is the thought we've been looking at the past several weeks. Uh, Live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life in a manner that reflects the story of the gospel. And Paul, he's been laying out the theology and the practices that should shape the life of the church, that should shape each individual who makes up the church. And now he starts talking about sending Timothy and Epaphroditus. You see, this isn't news. This is the culmination of living a life worthy of the gospel. You see, for Paul, it's one thing to write about it. And it's one thing for the Philippians to read about it. It's another thing to encounter it by seeing it lived out. All theology, unless it is embodied in people, becomes meaningless. If theology can't be lived out, it will leave us feeling removed. And so naturally, Paul ends his discussion of living a life worthy of the gospel by pointing people to two people who already are living lives worthy of the gospel. He's saying if you want to live a life worthy of the gospel, then draw near to the people who are already doing that, who are already living in this way. To see it lived out, that is significantly more important to Paul. Because while letters are good, and while they are spirit-breathed and helpful, Paul knows that we also need more than letters. We need people. People who are tangible examples of the life that Paul wants the church to embody. And Epaphroditus and Timothy are two examples. Remember chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. We looked at the story of the gospel 
Christ in his humility, descending for our sake, taking on the form of a servant, becoming a man. And Paul said, have this mind among yourselves. And and this is the mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, then look at what Paul says about Timothy. Verse 20. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy, he has his his mind and his sight set on Jesus. He is living a life worthy of the gospel. Look at what Paul says about Epi. Uh, Verse 30. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus has his mind and his sights set on Jesus. He's living a life worthy of the gospel. The the, the Christian life, it's not just letters written to people, but those letters written within people by the work of God in their lives, uh, by the presence of the Spirit. And Paul knows that we need to see this in other people so that we know it's even possible. Because sometimes this sort of life, it, it feels unattainable. Sometimes the letters can sound more like lofty ideals. And they can leave us feeling a step removed. But that can all change the moment we meet someone who makes the Christian faith plausible to us. Growing up, I had absolutely no desire to be a Christian whatsoever. Uh, The only picture in my mind of Christians were televangelists, you know, with with big hair and, uh, you know, selling things on TV, a a 1-900 number scrolling across the screen. And I can't say whether they had an authentic faith or not. I don't know. I I pray and I hope they did. But the way that they presented it on television, I felt like there was a huge gap between my life and their life, and I desired my life more than their life. They didn't make the Christian faith plausible to me. How many of you have seen uh, examples of of the Christian life, but it doesn't make it desirable to you? It doesn't make it plausible for your own life. It actually pushes you further away. I've been there. We've all been there. But then there's also people that make faith in Jesus more plausible, even desirable. For me, more than anyone else, it's a guy named Kyle Martin. He was... uh, He made the Christian faith plausible and desirable to me. He was probably my first Christian friend. And he was the first person that I met who was a Christian who made me think, you know what, I want to be like that guy. And for a few reasons, really, uh, just on a basic level, I could relate to Kyle. I felt like he was someone I would hang out with anyways. And I felt like he treated me the same, that I wasn't just some sort of project. But then what I really loved about Kyle was he was so honest about his faith about the doubts, about the struggles, about the successes, about the beauty. He would just talk about his faith. And his faith seemed to make a real difference in his life. Uh, Here's a simple example, an experience I had with Kyle that I've never forgot. Uh, Kyle and his wife Anna one day invited me to a hockey game, uh, to watch a hockey game at their friend's apartment. And so we went, and there was chips, and there was hockey, and it was a good time. We watched the game. Uh, It was a little crowded, but we, we had fun. And, uh, That was just their practice. They always invited people along. And then they gave me a ride home afterwards, which was also their practice. They would go out of their way to make sure uh, they could care for me well as a student who was lazy and didn't want to take the bus. But um, later that night, my phone rang. And it was Kyle. So I answered and I said, hey, what's up? And he said, hey, I need to apologize to you for something. I said, what are you talking about? 
said, well, on the car ride home, we, we mentioned how our friend's apartment was a little small. And we feel like we shouldn't have spoken so critically of our friend's apartment. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And I, and I remember thinking, like, I, I mean, maybe he was being overly sensitive. I, I, I don't know. But I remember thinking, like, I want to be like that. I want to care so much about my friends that I won't even speak poorly of their small apartments. He made the Christian life desirable, but he also made it plausible to me because I felt like I could take a step towards being like that. It felt like that could actually happen in my life too. The power of Kyle's witness is that he actually embodied the theology he read in the scriptures because of the spirit working within him. And that's the effect people can have on us. When we feel a step removed from Jesus, when we feel like living a life worthy of the gospel isn't possible, when all we can seem to see is bad examples of that, God places people in our lives who make it seem possible, who make it seem plausible, who make it seem like we can actually do this too. And I think this is the underlying reason as to why Paul is sounding Timothy and Epaphroditus to the Philippians. He knows that the Spirit will use his letter in powerful ways. It is Spirit-breathed. It becomes Scripture. But Paul also knows that the church deeply needs people who reflect Christ in their lives. He knows he needs people who have these truths written in their hearts because of the Spirit. Because what people need um, are not just people who talk about theology, but people who embody theology. Yes, we need the letters in people, but we especially need the letters in people. I want to talk about now how God uses these people, the people who make the gospel plausible uh, in our lives, how he knits us to them. This is, this is God's knitting project, the knitting of the spirit. He weaves us together with threads of the gospel. Look at verse 22. Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. A son with a father. Look at verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and soldier. Paul says, my brother. Yes, a fellow worker and soldier. But first and foremost, Epi is my brother. You know, Timothy, he's my son. The Spirit has knit them into a family. Because of their common pursuit of Jesus, Paul doesn't just have some friends. He has sons and brothers. And he's sending them to the Philippians who will receive them as family too. You see, when we have one mind that shapes how we think and act, when that is the gospel, when we are working out our salvation together, the Spirit knits us together in such a way that we become family. Not unified by biology, but unified by the Spirit of Christ in our midst, dwelling within us. And this doesn't happen as a result of trying to be a family. This happens as a result of striving after the gospel. Paul emphasizes this. He makes this crystal clear. He says about Timothy, he seeks the interests of Jesus Christ. He says, uh, he serves with me in the gospel. He says of uh, Epa, uh, I'm not getting his name right at all. He uh, nearly died, you know, for the work of Christ. It, it is the pursuit of the gospel 
that unifies us as a family. And you see, we can draw near to all sorts of desirable people in our lives. And every relationship we have, it doesn't matter what it is, coworker, friend, spouse, uh, there's always a story that shapes that relationship. And that story will determine the longevity and the health of that relationship. If the story is, I don't want to be lonely, if that is the story that is governing your relationship, that is going to make for a trying relationship. If the story is, I must succeed in my career to have any sense of accomplishment and and worth, that is going to affect every relationship in your life. Those stories will shape your relationships. As many of you know, I was in a band. Uh, The category was Screamo. And... (laughs) This is my present to you. And uh, over the five years that we were a band right out of high school, um, we toured, we, we did all that. I'm glad you're enjoying a laugh at my expense. It's okay. Uh, but these guys in the band, like these were my best friends. They, they were my best friends. We were a little family forged uh, by a few things, really. The, the biggest was time. We just spent a lot of time together, whether it was in rehearsal, whether it was months on the road on tour, uh, whether it was just hanging out in our spare time, our close proximity constantly knit us together. And then there's, of course, a common pursuit. You know, we wanted to give this music thing a shot. We wanted to succeed. Uh, we also, so we shared the same interests. We liked music. We liked a lot of the same bands. We, we liked a lot of the same things. Other, I don't know. We just talked about music a lot. But these were the things that knit us together as a family. And as our band uh, continued to grow and, and, and as we continued to tour, we eventually got in talks with the label, and it was pretty exciting. It's like, we're going to make it. Uh, well, yes, everyone but Alistair, because uh, the guys decided that they would have a better chance of success if they kicked me out of the band and got a better singer. Now, I can't blame them. I can't sing on key to save my life. But uh, what became evident, though, is that there was a different story that was actually driving our band. It wasn't the story of we, we love playing music and shows. It's the story of success. We want to succeed. And anything or any person that gets in the way or compromises that success is dispensable. That was the story that was driving our band. Now, you don't need to worry about it. These guys are still my friends. Uh, it took a few years to work it out. Uh, and, you know, they went on to a not-so-successful career. But um, it's okay. Because I'm learning, you know, not to speak ill of my friends. Um, when we... Uh, Stories, they, they shape our relationships, right? They shape our relationships. And when we draw near to people who make following Jesus attractive, who make it seem possible for us to follow Jesus in that way too, God knits us to those people. But the bonds that hold us together with them are stronger than any other bond that you can find. Because the thread is the gospel. You're knit together by God himself, by the spirit working in your midst. And we're brought into a family, a family that that shares a common story, a family that cannot put any one person at the center because Christ takes the center, a community as a result that does not exist for its own sake, but for the sake of others, which means, St. Peter's, if, if, if we take the gospel seriously, we cannot exist for ourselves. We must exist for the sake of the city. We must exist to help build a great city for all people. But it's being brought into this sort of family that helps us feel like we're taking a tangible step closer to Jesus. One step less removed. 
I, I hear story after story of people who couldn't grasp the truth about Jesus until they experienced the truth about Jesus within a community. You guys tell me stories like that all the time. You needed to see a community living it out. You needed to experience a community that loved you like a brother or a sister for no precedented reason. Yes, we want to see and we want to be in relationship with people who make the gospel plausible to us. But a community coming under that story, making it plausible to us, is all the more powerful. Because the Spirit of God is in our midst. And so while at times we might feel removed from Jesus, it's these sort of experiences that make us realize we're not so removed after all. That he's with the person sitting across from us. That he's knitting this group of people into a family. Which means that he is maybe with us and each of you too. Paul, he wraps up this section. As he says to the Philippians in verse 29. uh, When Epaphroditus shows up. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such Men. Paul says people who live lives worthy of the gospel, people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, who make the gospel plausible to you, honor them. Value their way of life. Respect them. Esteem them. Honor these sorts of people. Now, the vision of honoring that Paul is presenting is radically different to their society's culture. Uh, Their society handed out trophies to those they honored, but for completely different tasks. Uh, Successes in battle, that would get you honor in Rome. Uh, Large civic donations, leveraging your skills and talents in such a way that brought you attention. That's what got you honor. That's what got you the trophy. But Paul says this is not the sort of honor system we participate in uh, as Christians. No, you honor those who don't seek their own interests. You honor those who seek the work of Christ in the world. You honor those who actually aren't trying to seek the honor for themselves at all. And so I think this forces us to ask ourselves, what are we honoring in our lives? Because what we honor in our lives has a great deal to to do with how close we may feel to Jesus. If you're feeling distant from Jesus, if you're feeling a step removed. You have to ask yourself, what is it that you're honoring in your life? Maybe you've bought into the picture our culture paints for us. You have to honor science over Christian tradition. These things are incompatible. You have to pick one. You have to honor doubt and skepticism over humility and faith because these things also are at odds with one another and you have to pick one. You have to honor our society's values and keep your Christian values locked up in a box somewhere in your apartment so they don't touch or infect anybody else. You have to honor the culture's values over your own. Uh, how many of you, you, you experience that tension and, and you, you, you think, well, it's not so black and white. Like, do I really have to pick one or the other? Or is there a a middle way? But when we find that our our values are aligning more with the culture of of our time, that likes to hand out awards to those who conform to the cultural picture of what it means to be a good and honorable person, then we also have to ask, well, who are we surrounding ourselves with? 
Who are the people that we're actually honoring? Because the people we honor impact our values more than uh, just the theory of the values. It's the people you surround yourself with. Who is it that you're honoring? If you're feeling distant from Jesus or if you're feeling uh, like it's hard to live out this, this life um, in a way that's worthy of the gospel or if you feel even like, I'm trying to figure out if Jesus is really who he said he was. The best thing you can do is surround yourself with people who make that life plausible to you. To honor those people. To see something of value in people who aren't seeking their own interests. Who aren't seeking just to blindly conform to what's honorable in society. But are trying to honor Christ. Those are the people that will help you feel a palpable presence of Christ. But then we have to ask in our community, um, who is it that we're honoring? Those who are talented? Those who are attractive? uh, Those who seem accomplished? Those who have PhDs and masters? If if these are the people that we're going to honor in our community, then we are just living by the standards of our society still. If we're going to accept this challenge from Paul, then we need to begin honoring those who don't uh, seek their own interest, honoring those who devote themselves to the work of Christ, whatever their vocation may be. But the moment we start talking about honoring people, like honoring is tricky business. Because if we were to bring someone up on stage and honor them, like first, like that would just be weird. But it also does something in our hearts. We say, well, I want the honor. Why didn't I get picked? Why am I not up there? Because deep down we have our own interests at heart. But the reason, and we don't want to miss this, the reason we should honor or respect anyone who exhibits Christ in this way at all isn't because they're so great. It's because we see Christ in them. We're not actually honoring them. We're honoring Christ. We're saying you are shining Christ in such a way you are giving us a glimpse of him that it can't possibly be you, but Christ and the Spirit working within you. That's what we're honoring. And so as a community, if we want to be a community that helps people desire Jesus or or to feel like Jesus is even plausible for their lives, we have to be a community that keeps the story of the gospel center to our identity. Which means we cannot be a community that seeks after our own interests. We have to be a community that seeks after Christ and his interests. And Christ is the humble one who always has eyes for others. Christ is the one who gives his life for the sake of the world. That people might come to know him and might be transformed by a saving relationship with Jesus. I want to challenge you. Ask yourself, who is it that you're really honoring in your life? Who is it that you need to maybe draw closer to who might help you um, pursue Christ in a more wholehearted way? Um, What values are you honoring? And step towards those people. Step towards those people who make the gospel desirable, who make it plausible to you. Because when you step towards them, you're not just stepping towards them, you're stepping towards Christ in them. 
important. It's Christ's presence within our community that could make our community desirable at all. Without him, there is nothing to be desired here. So let's make sure that we lift up Jesus in all of the things we do.